Prof. Ntlapo and your team. Thank you very much for hosting us. And thank uh, everybody else, uh, Chair, for their, their contribution so far to, <clears throat> to the discussion. Uh, Chair, um, the reason why we have higher education institution, in my view, is that they are supposed to respond to the country's needs. That is, in my view, the first thing we must agree on. They are supposed to um, assist, you know, in terms of uh, uh, our national national development um, objectives of uh, unemployment, poverty, and inequalities. That is the first uh, thing that I, I think we must all agree. So, in our discussion today, uh, we must um, acknowledge that there is an act already that is there that was covered in the white paper that speaks to the tripartite uh, alliance of uh, institutional autonomy, academic freedom, and public accountability. Um, I, I call it the tripartite alliance, uh, this part, uh, Chair, because in my view, all of them should be equal. But currently they are not. If you talk about public accountability, in the same breath, uh, those who are defending will bring institutional autonomy. So the institutional autonomy, depending on where you are, has been used as the mother body of uh, the tripartite alliance of these three. And that is, I think, what comes out from uh, the presentation of Mr. Hanyani, uh, Dr. Miller, um, and I think South and, uh, and maybe Council for Education as well. In that presentation, they, I think they almost agree with, uh, <clears throat> with, that, with, with, with that analogy that uh, the, the, the institutional autonomy has been used uh, to a certain extent unfairly um, here and that is why um, they are using uh, the semi or partial autonomy from one presentation and conditional autonomy uh, was the way that was used by Council for Education. So in, in, in essence what they are saying here uh, we, which I think I agree with them, is that <clears throat> it looks like there's a, there's a problem uh, in our institutions. And I don't want to go to examples that were used about, um, I mean, I think Tate Hanyane went uh, even deeper by saying uh, most of our institutions will, will go under administration because of some of these things, and I don't want to go there, but I think most of what you are saying, uh, I want to say, I think I agree with him. I think the DG initially as well, earlier on, would have indicated the same things um, on, on, on accountability there. So, <clears throat> my um, chair is that I think if I were to agree with Saouz that maybe let's have partial autonomy on 
on 30%, meaning academic must be run by purely, we must not enter there. If we were to agree to that, I would have a problem because even that uh, I, I have a problem with. I mean, our academic content today, in my view, we must still we must, we must look into it because um, I'm not sure if what is being taught in our institutions um, responds directly to our challenges in this country. Uh, and if if I was wrong, I'm sure we will not have any uh, graduate who's sitting at home and uh, you know not absorbed by the system. So it means even that we must we must review. So the 70 percent autonomy that was proposed by uh, South, I think uh, I disagree. I just want to say uh, maybe we must review 100 percent now. Maybe a question because of time constraint um, would be to everybody else. With the act that is there, uh, DG, do we think it's sufficient? Uh, the white paper that we have today is it sufficient uh, to make the system work best for everybody else? Is it the system? Is it not there to protect? certain individuals at the expense of the system itself. And I, and I hope uh, did you understand what I'm asking. Uh, because an act should be there not to protect a group of people when they are supposed to account uh, Honorable Chair Mukaj. They then quote uh, 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 the autonomy of the institution. And they are supposed to account. But in 2019, uh, 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 and I know every year it has been increasing, almost uh, 40 billion of public funds uh, was, was uh, uh, given to these institutions from Parliament. I know you, I know that because uh, it was voted funds, Honorable King. It's us who voted for them. Sure. Now, when they are supposed to um, account they will tell, tell you about institutional autonomy. And that is where my problem is. And I'm not saying uh, uh, politicians like myself should interfere with the running of these in institutions. I'm not. But I'm saying an act should find a balance where the, those who are running these institutions uh, are able to run these institutions, but when they are doing wrong things, uh, as the DG was saying, because we know that in councils and in management, they form cliques there called factions, uh, fighting over the resources of these institutions. It's a fact. Um, in the, as this committee in the sixth parliament, I mean, we've went to different institutions to try and resolve those issues, where you then realize that Mona, you have been called here because this faction is fighting that faction and this faction is stronger than that one. So that is a fact. That cannot even be discussed. So uh, is an act that we have sufficient in covering everything else? Accountability, uh, academic freedom on one, on the other side, 
uh, and the autonomy on, on, on the third side. Is our act uh, digitally uh, covers everybody else? If not, where exactly can it be strengthened so that we are able to strengthen that part? And if, it, if you think it is, why do you then have uh, different interpretations from the uh, presentation? We have different interpretations of what the act may mean. Uh, Yusuf would have said, no, now we're happy. Uh, we think we're moving in the, in the right direction. Uh, and Kosatu um, um, says, we also don't want the repeat. History must teach us. Uh, during the apartheid, this might have happened. Uh, Council for Education says, hey, this one is being used as a, a, a mother body of the tripod. So there's, a, in my view, different understanding of what, or different interpretations of what the act might mean. Uh, DG, so the questions to yourselves there is that how can we um, assist, how can we strengthen uh, the act to make it better for the system and not better for one individual or, or group of individuals, be it VCs or board uh, councils or the department or ourselves, but the whole system. How can we strengthen this act and make it better? Thank you very much, and I apologize, Chair, for taking two minutes of uh, Dr. K's time. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chair. Um, good afternoon to all the colleagues, um, all those attending online. And I want to start off by thanking um, all the presenters the knowledge that was shared today, I am, um, yeah, very grateful. Let me not express, but I, I, it really has um, invoked and provoked and, you know, started different thought processes around what we are talking about and also took me down memory lane um, as a lecturer at UJ all those um, eight years that I did that job and the conversations that we had in relation to um, the conversations and knowledge that we are um, talking about today. And so I'm particularly very um, grateful that we have academics, we have different stakeholders that you know we are engaging with in order to obviously see beyond our function as political leaders um, in what we do as a, as a committee. So kudos for that. Um, I, in, in terms of what we're talking about, Chair, I, I do think at the basis of what we're talking about needs to be um, democratization, equity and redress. Um, I think we need to talk beyond that. I think we've seen, um, you know, talks around gender-based violence. We've seen, um, you know, pub the topic around publishing and the quality of, you know, the work that academics publish and, and the academic freedom in, in as far as that is related. Also to how we are addressing, I'd like to perhaps agree with Honorable um, Litsia in that, in fact, I showed in my notes that it's so important um, like Mr. Hanyani mentioned, for for the state, the universities, and all the different stakeholders to ask the question, what is the return on investment? So in everything that we do, um, if you, 
And I think it's the, it's the same sort of conversation that we could have about the funding models and methods around you fund, you put funding towards educating students, but how, how are they plowing back? You put funds towards a university and, and how are we benefiting from putting those funds there? Those funds should be producing PhD um, graduates that are actually addressing challenges that we are seeing and experiencing on the ground. We have high unemployment, for example. Um, you know, yes, it's, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors to that. But I do believe that we, we have a lot more that we could do um, towards changing those um, realities. And, and I think something else that I think um, needs thought or reflection on is is this notion of them versus us it's them against us i think we need to let go of those um that thinking um in as far as you know it we should be looking at, at our different stakeholders and thinking everyone performs a different function but it's not them and us so how do we collaborate how do we partnership how do we drive one value system that that is common amongst all of us that will actually, you know, eliminate all the challenges that we see that um, DG in his presentation highlighted. Um, we saw issues around factionalism being raised. Those are issues that reflect a, a, some level of, you know, unprofessionalism in a space where professionalism should be engraved in students and, you know, molding people that should be um, our future leaders. So I think we need to really kind of divorce ourselves from the notion of them as that, that stakeholder and start seeing ourselves as a collective trying to drive a particular. And yes, of course, the alignment um, as to what the country is trying to achieve should be at the core of what higher education institutions or higher um, institutions of higher learning should be driving. <clears throat> um, and then Prof Bauer, I just perhaps wanted to ask one question, um, perhaps get your honest opinion around the statutes um, that you mentioned and, you know, the intentions of these is obviously to ensure good governance. And we are not seeing that in certain institutions. We're seeing that as a challenge um, on, you know, on the on the presentation that the, the, the DG um, um, gave us. And I'm curious to find out how that um, assists um, in relation to addressing the poor governance and adhere, um, poor adherence, rather, to good governance um, principles. Um, I also think at this point, I think I've mentioned the values, chairperson, the alignment, what universities are trying to do should be aligned to what um, the state um, wants to do. Um, I also think it was very important to have NEFSAs uh, or um, yeah, I'll probably get my acronyms wrong, so pardon me for that. But I think it's it's quite an important stakeholder to have here, and also one that should inform and expand our thinking in terms of who these stakeholders are when we talk about institutional um, autonomy, because we saw that government does fund high um, education institutions. We've got parents being the second level of funding, um, you know, entity that funds institutions. We've got research um, units or institutions. We've got grants, etc. And we need to expand, um, you know, our thinking around who the stakeholders are in as far as um, institutional autom autonomy is. And I didn't feel that coming through. Perhaps we need to expand um, the level at which we we think in that regard and engage because accountability for me becomes very crucial around um, 
um, institutional autonomy. You know, we can have everybody carrying out the, the functions, but who are they accounting to? And what are the accounting um, accountability mechanisms in place that will ensure um, that whatever it is each stakeholder is doing um, and whether or not everything that each stakeholder is doing is serving the other because, you know, we're trying to drive this collective thinking and collectively addressing and sharing um, power. And so I do think there's a place for the state um, in how universities are run. And I do feel to a certain level as well, universities need um, to account to much more than just the state. Um, and, and I feel like perhaps just expand there, our, our conversations were limited to, you know, state versus um, universities in that regard. Um, I think I will try and shorten and, and end there, um, Chairperson. I'm just trying to see the last point that I've got here. Um, yeah, apparently my colleague says I'm done, so thank you very much, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thanks, Chairperson, <clears throat> uh, uh, members of uh, the portfolio, uh, our guests and uh, online, all, stakeho all stakeholders in the house. <clears throat> uh, one must start by appreciating the presentation made by uh, our presenters from different angles. It shows that there is a gap that we need to try and close, the monitoring one, because institution turns out to be monopoly. Uh, People who are running institutions, uh, they think they are not accountable to anybody. They do as they please. If you take a, a example for the report, I, I saw that you, it was posted on the group uh, as I was reading, reading it uh, on the internet and it was posted on the group. Uh, institution whereby there are employees who are not uh, physically there, cost employees. Uh, then, then you ask yourself that uh, what is happening into other institutions whereby there is no investigation done. The, in other institutions you find that uh, Vice Chancellor is everything. Uh, whenever, whenever there are challenges and someone is trying to challenge or put uh, it in the, on the table, and we'll just respond on the media like nobody's business. So that's why I started by saying there is a gap that we need to close. Because the difference between institutions now and institutions then in the past is that university, universities were straight on the agenda for instance of the apartheid regime. They know what they wanted to do and they monitored them. 
and they implemented exactly what the government wants, wanted by that time. And now it's two separate things. We are government, we are operating, we want, we set our own target, we want our own things, whereas institutions, they don't care, they operate as, they, as their own, and it's like, my colleague was saying, it's like it's us and them, and whenever you want to uh, come and try to intervene, and this name of uh, interfering come up. Whereas it's like we are not supposed to uh, get there and know what is going on on the institution. It's like institutions are not accountable. So I think we have to close that gap. We have to make means as the portfolio uh, to monitor closely. I've said it uh, the other day, Chair, on the group that there was a situation in Zululand, and uh, <clears throat> I, I feel very pained when I see the response of the Vice-Chancellor, whereas there are, there are children that died and others raped. I, I'm not talking about being a, a bribe, uh, being smuggled, but it's, it's, it's like nothing to the Vice-Chancellor there. It's like nothing. He said there, there's nothing happened. No, I was like, this person. And only to find, I, I heard that uh, we need to empower women and give them platform, but it's a shame that it's a woman. A person who's supposed to feel pain when someone is raped, but he, he, she feels nothing. So I think presentation made it clear what we want. And uh, who was making a presentation from the side of students? So, okay. I like the presentation because he talked on the side of students, challenges that they are facing. We are coming from there, we know those challenges are real. And that they are need to be addressed, they are need to be monitored that we make sure the next generation doesn't feel the pain that we felt, doesn't experience the challenges that we experienced. It's good now, Chairperson, that you are young and a former leader of student wing, and you understand dynamics on institutions. And now we are here as the Chairperson of the Postal of Higher Education, of which so we need to get really exactly what will get uh, a productive institution of our own. Uh, thank you, Chairman. <laughs> Thanks, Chairman. Thanks for all presentations and to do the uh, um, I think all presenters tabled the challenges and as well as the recommendations uh, without dwelling too much. There is a demon of this thing of um, fraudulent promotions. I 
yenzeka kanjani fraudulent promotions ai we are mere we are qualify we othatha umnganwa ai mana akesiyeka bangani neyihlobo noma lume no nani 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 it it undermines our government ang saphathi ke singabasebenzike bese kutholakala ukuthi nje hayi eduduzile was promoted because unhlapho uyamaza hlapho into ye undermining ama students akhala ngokuthi being undermined by ama VCs akukufaneleke bamhlapho undermine ngicabanga ukuthi awungenike kulo group uma ngabe yangena sizokuthandazela before sihambe ukuze ungaqhubeki nokuthi undermine abantwana bantwana irespect yafuneka let's respect ubobonke abakhona lapho ku institutions if you are irrespecting yourselves you will be respected thank you chairperson um can i just ask that as we pass the mic around i think uh, cput has been kind enough to give us sanitizers i was about to give you mine and i realized no but you all have so uh, please just sanitize the mic and move it along thank you chairperson um i'm really also grateful that we had this opportunity um as you know when you ask um what needs to be on the program i was probably one of the people who asked that this be on the program because i knew the importance um that this would be have and also the good conversation and the frank conversations that we're having here um today so chairperson when we look at institutional autonomy we obviously will consider academic freedom um how fair is the process does it create proper opportunities for advancements in the sector and does it create diversity so when we consider the autonomy of an institution we must be mindful that there will always be tensions that will de- that will be between a desirable degree of institutional autonomy and the academic freedom versus the legitimate right of government to generate certain level of accountability of higher education institutions so when we consider this chairperson the one thing that comes to mind is to what degree of um involvement will the state have when it comes to institutional autonomy are we over regulating the sector in terms for them to ensure that they still may that the academic freedom is not sorry the autonomous is not taken into consideration because the violation of academic freedom and institutional autonomy have high cost in intellectual regression social alienation and economic taxation as we go on further we must also consider the long standing framing of aut- autonomy less appreciated for the future while many in higher education communities are appropriately committed to a traditional and long standing view of institutional autonomy thus this traditional concept of higher education need manifestation post covid and into the future because if we consider how things have changed when it came to covid with digitization um the mode of teaching and learning how are we going to conceptualize the autonomy of an institution of students of academic staff 
But we also need to be mindful um, and critically look at our own behavior of institutions and ask them about the price we they were willing to pay to ensure that they surrender the academic freedom or decisions to obtain desirable funding. And the reason why I'm saying this is when we consider the massification that has happened over the years in institutions of higher learning, to what degree do they then depend solely on NEFSA funding? Because we see that 70% of students now entering institutions are NEFSA funded, which then take away some degree of their autonomy considering that they will now be solely dependent on NEFSA students to enter the system and have a discriminatory factor towards those that are self-funded. I think those are the things that we actually need to really consider and talk about. When it comes to the guidelines that were set up for good practice, for, um, for good governance practice, for councils. We need to assess how strongly has that been implemented. We need to assess are they following that guidelines because from what we've seen over the years it is clear that it is not really there. It's just a ticking exercise and at the end of the day we then see um, the disparities that take place in these institutions. And lastly, Chairperson, when it comes to gathering information and collaboration between institutions and government institutions, we need to ask ourselves, uh, because I had a challenge now the other day, where the Poppy Act and the Pire Act comes in when it stifles us to get information from institutions when they put these two legislations in order to avoid us from getting proper information. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair, and um, let me also, my name is Dibulelo Malhazi. I'm a member of the Committee on Higher Education and Training. Um, Chair, let me also join the chorus that is um, appreciating the presentations that have been made today. Indeed, in your opening remarks, you have indicated that the conversation that we are having today is long overdue. But as we enter into this conversation, we must enter with an open mind, being able to reflect objectively and critically around individual stakeholders in as far as the betterment of the sector. Because the intention of this particular process is to better the sector. Now, if one had to speak on the presentation, I think the presentation by Professor Bauer closes the debate. Professor Bauer was, you know, spot on on issues, critically dealt with issues that are bedeviling the sector in as far as institutional autonomy is concerned, and takes her to history in as far as issues of, you know, the cultural context the, 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 the location and global and international issues that related to the sector. But what I'm not getting out of these presentations that have been made today, it what needs to happen. Yes, we have all these challenges that we all agree about, but what needs to happen in order to, to better the sector? Of course, we, we, we advocate for 
a collaboration. We advocate for cooperative governance in this particular sector, but we need to be specific in terms of what issues need to be dealt with so that we better the sector. Now, when you look at the presentation made by Prof, it also speaks to the role of higher education. Universities do not exist for just existing. There's a purpose to it. And in that particular purpose, Prof says to us, how do we make sure that given the fact that institutions of higher learning are reservoirs of knowledge that is meant to produce for the state so that we deal with socioeconomic issues of the country, how interrelated, how our input in as far as investment, how does it contribute to the output which is meant to make our the lives of our people better? I think that is a conversation that we need as, as, as an in standalone item. And I support a prof to say we really need to have that conversation around institutions of high learning vis-a-vis -vis the economy. It's a one discussion that needs to happen. When you go to the presentation by Kosatu, Ndete uh, Parks, in, a, in your presentation, you indicate the fact that the Higher Education Act is, I'm not sure whether you're saying it's, it's equivalent to deal with issues that are bedeviling higher education sector. But during the process, since I've been part of this particular portfolio committee, part of the challenges in as far as Higher Education Act is concerned is that these fiduciary duties of councils. It has been tested by the committee itself to say councils have become, you know, even VCs, uh, they become demagogues of some sort. Sure. To a large extent, they cannot be held accountable because in terms of the act, the fiduciary issue, they, they are not accountable in as far as the act is concerned. Nobody can take them anywhere because they are not part of, they are not, I think Honorable Yabo will be able to explain it better because he was very concerned about that specific issue. How then do we hold institution accountable when they are not, uh, fiduciary duty does not uh, apply to them? Most probably there will be a need to look into the issue of amending the act. But this is the conversation that we need to have to say, do we really need to go that far? When accountability must come automatically as part of building a better, I mean, building capacity within our institutions, do we really need to go that far? Chair, when you listen to, when you also look at the presentation by uh, Mr. Parks, it speaks about subsidies and efficiency. I think it is quite clear that institutions of higher learning, students, workers, you know, are the, are the actual um, stakeholders, our, our main stakeholders in as far as institutions of, of, are concerned. But when you look at them, 
the influence of our third stream, fourth stream, fifth stream, you know, much as we want this institution to be operational colleagues, with or without government funds, they should ordinarily perform and be able to have an output that is assisting the country. But what then becomes the influence of the third streams? Who is investing in, in those institutions? Because I always say investment comes with a mandate, a mandate comes with an influence. Influence comes with what? It is important that we have good Samaritans who are able to actually invest in, 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 in institutions of Highland to build the social compacts that we are referring to and that the president always referred to. But that influence must be able to be in line with the NDP. When we're making our own research prior to this particular uh, colloquium, when you look at the annual reports of all institutions of Highland, none of them make reference to the NDP. So your output are based on what? Because they should be in sync, in line with what the country needs to do in as far as economy is concerned, so that we are, we are able to build our economy, so that people are able to work, so that people are able to pay, so that we don't rely on NSFAS. But unfortunately, because there are challenges of socioeconomic issues, we're going to rely on NSFAS, and NSFAS is not going anywhere, Slalo, up until we're able to deal with socioeconomic issues. Up until young people who would, are sitting in the streets are able to be able to fund themselves or have parents who are able to work so that they can fund for their kids. And as far as it's not going anywhere, that's the reality. Yes, it's unsustainable. But for as long as there is no alternative, it's not going anywhere. My last input, Chair, is about, it's on the presentation made by Ndati Hangan, which is quite important, about the... risk authority that lies on councils and later delegated to your VCs. Much as I agree with his input, but it does not give us clear indication of what needs to happen. If you cascade that authority down to, you know, workers, in what way? How do we make an institution to be accountable based on his input? Because at some point, authority must lie somewhere. And when you cascade it down to workers, what do you mean? Have we tested that particular theory? Has it happened anywhere else so that we are able to make it work? And Chair, I think ours here as a portfolio committee is not to fight with VCs. We are just having this particular conversation to say, we are hearing you. Hear the side of our story, but where do we find a common ground? How do we work together to make the sector operational, the sector to work? Those who've got much more funds in as far as reserves, are you able to share so that more, more students can be accommodated? How do we make sure that access is, you know, is, is seamless without these challenges that we are seated with? And are we in line with what the country is working towards? And if not, what needs to happen? So I think we need to abstract certain things. And one of the key issues that Professor Bauer spoke to Slalo was the issue of 
he made mention of the cultural context because ordinarily prior to 1994 institutions were operating in a particular fashion uh, post-1994 it can't be automatic that the cultural aspect in terms of institutions of is going to change there must be a transition there must be a process what process are we willing to take to make sure that institutions they move with us and this is not only happening in our country it happens everywhere go and look at european countries it can't be that institutions are operating as in, in a silo and there's no ecosystem. This ecosystem means to say you get students, you train as a reservoir of knowledge, as a production of knowledge for the country. The output must be able to respond to the needs of the country so that we are able to sustain institutions of Highland. So these are the key issues that I think we need to speak to. But I'm quite happy with with the with all the presentations that have been made. I think we are going somewhere, and um, this kind of conversations are quite necessary, and they are assisting the country to move on. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, I prefer to stand. Uh, I think I'm trying to avoid the lethargy that comes with uh, after lunch, <laughs> after lunch effects, and so I'm trying to dispel it. Now let me welcome the presentations that we have received from the various presenters and the oral submissions. I mean, they were very thought-provoking. And I must say, it's always important to participate and interact on an intellectual level because you are able then to come to some form of synthesis uh, that might resolve the problems that we are faced with. I want to ask questions before I make my own personal inputs. And I think I... In the process of knowledge production, that's where you start. You start with asking questions. Sure. And it is in that process that you will then come to answers. You will create theses and at times an antithesis. And finally, you will then reach a synthesis. And I feel that with uh, the advancement of knowledge and the exponential growth of knowledge, you are able to create solutions for a world that exists. We are trying to create a peace at sector that produces human beings who are prepared for a world that still exists at the exit point. It is pointless to prepare people for a world that no longer exists. So when you enter into the system, you have a specific world. When you exit, that world is a relic of history. Upon exit, you are rendered redundant because you are prepared for history and not the present and the future. And now I want to give that framing chair because context is very important. And I appreciate what the professor Wajid, is it Wajid? or Wagid, he will uh, forgive my pronunciation if I've got it right on any of the two, 
uh, at least I've tried. He provides a contextual approach, but he also takes it a notch higher. He provides an intellectual framing of what autonomy means. And he gives it within the ontological context and cultural context of Africa versus the globe. And so the question that popped in my mind when he made that presentation is, who is the globe, really? Who is this globe that we are speaking of? Because we can uh, surely decipher that we would have uh, the global north, the global south, but we would also have the dominance of the west and now the emergence of the east or the re-emergence of the east. Who is the globe? And he extrapolates and he says, no, but maybe we should look at the context of global standards and then trickle it down to localized solutions. So we are going to speak of autonomy in the context of the African um, situation. So there is a, I think when he spoke, something snapped in my mind on a, on a work by Kwame Gyeki, who speaks of the person and the community in the African context. Kwame Gyeki makes the point that in African socialization, the person is not seen outside of the community. The community defines the person, and the person lives within the community, but must at all material times seek to find their own unique features as a person in a community. And so autonomy does not relate to being outside of a regulatory system. It speaks of being able to be identified with key critical elements that says this is bafuze, but within a community. So autonomy, in this instance, what we encounter when we do oversight is that institutions of higher learning treat themselves as social enclaves that are far removed from authority and scrutiny. And so we must literally beg for permission from these enclaves, academic enclaves, to zoom into whether they are able to be held up to scrutiny with one, public funds, two, with the primary enterprise to which they are uh, given responsibility over. And so the question is, what is the primary enterprise of institutions of higher learning? What is their primary enterprise? The short answer to that is knowledge production. Knowledge production. And that is where we should begin if we are going to speak about autonomy. And there's also a second thing that comes out of that question, is that with the presentations that were made, I heard a consistent reference to a causal link between two things. One, the link between academic freedom and institutional autonomy. Perhaps someone needs to answer this question. Does academic freedom become adversely impacted if you remove 
institutional autonomy. Well, academic freedom, the ability to conduct the primary enterprise for which these institutions exist, be impacted adversely if we change the governance model, remove institutional autonomy. Is there a case for it? That no, if you come in, you, you begin to scrutinize, uh, you exert authority, you want accountability, then academic freedom will be compromised. If one is able to come with a solid case that says if autonomy is removed and academic freedom is compromised, perhaps we'll be able to give a hearing to that argument. But it must be cogent. Let's conquer the chance. It must be a very cogent argument. It must not be an, an, an argument of chance takers who want to protect uh, enclaves of uh, apartheid vestiges sure. in this uh, system of education. What I find to be glaring, Honorable Chair, is the presence of what I would call an overarching authority of capital interests in the institutions of higher learning. And we see it with uh, previously advantaged institutions mainly. We went to Stellenbosch recently. Stellenbosch still has an untransformed uh, staff complement. Sure. 26 years into democracy. And academics, without taking anything away from them, explain this uh, to us that no we have a slow uptake of equitable share of job and work opportunities to other people of color but if you ask that they give us a scientific explanation as to the impediments that make it impossible to employ equitably across the racial lines, there is none. The only explanation that subsists is the protection of an old apartheid relic to keep it with the status quo, and it is defended by academics with all these PhDs. And they want us to believe that, no, there is some uh, higher intellectual reason why you are unable to absorb other people of color in the staff complement. Institutional autonomy, in my view, has been abused from what it should have been to what it now is not, to protect vestiges of an old relic that we should have buried a long time ago. Dr. Mueller raises a critical issue. He says, There is an original scene, as he describes it, that was dealt with in the corridors of state power. When the state was taken over by a democratic government, those who occupied the halls of power exited gracefully. But the same did not happen in the peaceed sector. He even argues that some of them 
do not even have the necessary capabilities, qualifications, merits to even occupy the seats they occupy since the dawn of democracy. And that an exercise that was undertaken in the government was not undertaken in this sector. I want to shorten my input. I want to ask, is accountability a function of ethical morality or the recognition of collective authority vested in repositories that are public representatives? Or is it simply the request for malicious compliance? This accountability. That's the question I want to ask. Perhaps someone could respond to that question. I want to make the case that you, you cannot have a one-size-fits-all type of solution. All right? And that's why I appreciate Professor Wajid's contribution about make putting context. So I want to close it off by saying the critical differences between the then USSR before its collapse and the Republic, the, the People's Republic of China, even when they were applying the same socialist or socialism, with the USSR, they would deploy commissars in each and every corner of the USSR, but their presence did not enhance innovation. In actual fact, it throttled it. And so the USSR ceased to develop and grow beyond what it had been at that point because the presence of those who were supposed to advance innovation throttled it. Whereas China, with the adoption of uh, socialism with Chinese characteristics encouraged innovation. And so almost the same political system, but the outcomes are different because of application. And so the context was that the application by the Chinese was that the presence of these political leaders meant that innovation was the order of the day to ensure that the economy of China grows in leaps and bounds. And we have seen it. They have literally sustained a 6% growth rate, linear growth rate. So you can take all the spikes and the drops, but if you take into account all things, they have kept it. And so I say, in, the finding, in finding a solution for the problematic uh, hindrance to us as government, as the state, that is institutional autonomy that blocks us from having access to accountability from these institutions. That solution needs to be spoken to by our own context here in South Africa. It must not be a one-size-fits-all solution the same way that socialism was not a one-size-fits-all solution in the examples that I've given. For the USSR, it became a collapse. For the Chinese, it became an accelerated developmental mechanism that has put them now where they are, per capita income, second in the world. So I'm saying the solutions we come up with to deal with uh, institutional autonomy must promote the 
primary enterprise of these institutions knowledge production knowledge production i want to close off by appreciating the very pungent truth put before us by dr Mueller when he says there are misconceptions about the peace sector and uh, the research fraternity of south africa and that we are one of the best in the world etc etc he he debunks the myth and he says but no by which measure which metric is being used so it means we need to redefine the metric by which we measure ourselves first secondly we need to remeasure the metric by which we measure ourselves against the globe and we must then define who is this globe who is this globe that we are measuring ourselves against? Perhaps we will try and measure ourselves our, against our erstwhile uh, colonizers. Sure. Uh, it's not a good measure by, by my own standards. It's not a good measure. And I think it's something that we really need to zoom into to ensure that we develop the peace sector to become an engine room of knowledge production without being inhibited by onerous interference but also that accountability must be the order of the day i agree with the speaker who says vcs themselves need to be subjected to scrutiny and there has to be an authority that is able to discipline vcs you cannot have you cannot have an all-powerful being anywhere anywhere no not in our country you must have checks and balances. We must seek to create those checks and balances and make sure that those checks and balances actually work. Let's recalibrate our metrics. Let's recalibrate what we deem to be good performance. Let's recalibrate uh, the, the standard of authority within the, 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 the peace sector, especially where it regards institutional autonomy. The last point that Hanyani makes, he says, public funds should fund research that resolves public challenges or societal problems. That is, I, I took that and I thought that's what it should do. If we are going to follow the money, we should follow it to the end of the tunnel where it responds to our current problems, resolving problems of a world that exists rather than exiting students or academics who are prepared for a world that no longer exists. And many, many of our students come out and they are not prepared for a world they find themselves in. And this is why they get misplaced, they get into wrong jobs, they, they, many of them become lost to the system. And I think we should apply our minds uh, to, that, to that reality. We should not enforce the caste system. So the Indians and the Hindus in particular have a caste system that have kept their, their society in check for, for thousands of, of years. And it's, 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 an, it's an irony that at the top of the caste system are teachers, and then you have rulers and warriors. And so it appears that we have a caste system scenario here where institutional autonomy has placed institution out institutions out of the reach of the rulers, quote unquote, and the scrutiny of the people in general. Let's revise that. Thank you very much, Chair.
Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, um, Chair and members of the committee. First, for, for inviting us. Realize that uh, the president of SASCO, uh, who's a board member, and I were competing over who speaks first. <laughs> but thank you so much again for allowing us to be part of this very important uh, conversation, which makes us very very jubilant. Um, it's a subject that no one has been talking about for a long time. Um, and when it happens, it is done by academics. And Prof. Lapo, uh, Prof. Bauer, you'll agree with me that this subject is too important uh, to be left to, to academics. Now, Chair, Academic uh, freedom and uh, institutional uh, autonomy does affect us uh, as a funding entity of, um, of government. And I just like the leading question you posed uh, in your introduction when you talked about social ills um, and economic imbalances uh, and how this relates to academic freedom and institutional uh, autonomy. And this is going to be my trust uh, in my input. Uh, the questions those of us who come from uh, uh, NASFAS will be of what relevance is academic freedom uh, and autonomy to our funding objectives? And by the way, what are our objectives? Put colloquially, uh, it will be to ensure that the students that we fund um, acquire jobs at the end of their training or have the capacity to create jobs uh, which will lead to social social stability. Uh, now that's a very important uh, mandate that we have and for us to be able to measure our mandate we should be in a position to engage um, with the institutions of higher learning uh, we should at least be at par and in tandem with them uh, on understanding the meaning and implication of the concept of academic freedom uh, and institutional autonomy, which is not the case at the moment. Now, the DG, uh, as we all witness, has very eloquently, and he was at his element today, uh, spoken to us about the origins and status of uh, government policy on academic freedom. Uh, he also spoke about uh, the need for cooperative governance. Uh, there's something he said we shouldn't forget. Um, I chose to forget, to forget all that and remember the two. And the reason is, uh, as he spoke about the origins, and the status of uh, government policy on academic freedom. Uh, all that could come to uh, my mind is that the policy position, the current policy position on academic freedom uh, and institutional autonomy has been a response to a particular uh, state of our, our nation and it's responded to issues 
at that time. The yellow book, uh, the white paper responded to issues at that time. Uh, and the DM uh, came in very um, handy when he said the drafters of our laws and policies got their hopes lost with, uh, with the passage of time, uh, which is true and which was evident in uh, the activities of the student movement in uh, what is now called the Fees Must Fall movement, uh, when issues such as um, the relevance of the curriculum uh, and extra issues that at face value will be seen as extra curricular issues, uh, such as the land question were raised, and I just want to emphasize there is a relationship uh, between our education system and, and the land question. The land question is not a standalone issue. And when they raised issues about, um, about um, decoloniality, and what really pleased, uh, was pleasing was the fact that all the presenters uh, from USAF, and I was very pleasantly surprised uh, by the good uh, presentation from uh, Professor Bauer from USAF, who admitted at the very beginning that the concept of academic freedom and institutional autonomy can never be seen outside context. And he likened that to a ship uh, that is just moving alone um, in, a vast, in a vast sea. And Chair, uh, The best way to, to turn the situation around uh, will never happen without confronting what is this context uh, that we're talking about. Uh, three elements, uh, quickly. Uh, the first is uh, inequality in this country. That, that was mentioned many times by various uh, uh, presenters. And inequality is no small issue. We were once number three uh, on the bottom in the world. We came number two. Uh, we now overtook uh, Brazil and we're the most unequal country in the world. And it explains instability. It even explains uh, unfairness at institutions of, of higher learning. Unemployment, general economic uh, regression in the country, collapse of state uh, entities, and if I were to make aviation as, an, as, as a metaphor, and Chair, I'm not, I'm not making this reference because we grounded British Airways a few, a, few, a few days ago, but because there was a time in the history of this country uh, when SAA, for instance, was the best, when we're the best uh, aviators, uh, you can't say that today. Uh, if we were to look at one of the best airlines in the country, uh, it's none of those that were the best four years ago. It's uh, SA Fair. You, no one could have imagined that. So it says a lot about where we are. Now, how does uh, uh, academic freedom and uh, autonomy and the role of institutions of higher learning uh, respond to uh, the context uh, that I mentioned just earlier on? And if you were to allow me, Chair, um, I hope the DG is not going to fire me for saying this. Uh, 
there is a room for for intervention uh, by the state if we want to see a new concept of of academic freedom and we should always see the difference between interference and intervention uh, they don't mean the same thing sure. interference is micromanaging intervention is what is happening today this colloquium is some form of um, of, um, of of intervention now two things I, I just want to put to the table uh, I don't want to even call them uh, proposals but the first is uh, this colloquium uh, or its subsequent um, uh, uh, colloquium should at least develop some new framework uh, on what we mean by academic freedom and institutional autonomy. And in doing that, I think we should be we should be brave enough to move away from a neoliberal construct of academic freedom. I'm happy that I'm not the first one who is speaking about uh, neoliberalism. The problem with the neoliberal uh, construct of academic freedom, uh, which is the current thrust now, is neoliberalism uh, starts from, from the premises uh, that we we all equal. Now, we may be equals, but we may not be equal. These are two different things. The other proposal that I would like to, to put to the, to the table is uh, for this colloquium not to be a mere talk shop. Sure. Uh, it may well be important, uh, Chair, uh, for some consideration uh, of some uh, structure uh, to, to review the current uh, status um, and take forward whatever proposals that will have been made uh, at this colloquium. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. From from uh, the engagement, you can sense that uh, in our country, disorder is the order of the day. Because education is the means of the social continuity of life. So this speaks to the necessity of education as a central integrant for agency and mobility. So from different speakers, obvious, an attempt to define autonomy and academic freedom may prove to be a different or a difficult yet an interesting topic which I think uh, all of us we need to familiarize ourselves with. The question what is autonomy, what is academic freedom and where is the autonomy applicable? Will autonomy ever exist? 
so the categorization is very important and I think it's going to assist us. So from what uh, has been presented, obvious we need to ask a question if what should be the relationship between the state and institutions? Obvious, we want to assess that the concept autonomy presupposes a relationship autonomous in relation to who or what or even to do what is the definition of the concept usually intended with the legislated practice holding a view that uh, autonomy is a relative concept and academic freedom is not free two we argue that uh, the different formulations or concept, be they theoretically or practically, is by virtue of universities. The intellectual culture that has come to define the nature of our institution, that or which we recognize as centers of knowledge and information production. So the contest of ideas, culture, religion is bound to take place and it must be commendable. Want to assert as well that there is no internationally accepted or universally understanding around what constitutes institutional autonomy in terms of its content and practice. All in all, I think from the speakers, there is a view to say education is part of a wider movement of social phenomenon in society. We believe that ruling ideas in society are those of dominant forces in society. And The strategic perspective on transformation from our documents stipulates the domain ideas are those of the market capitalism, popularly known as the neoliberalism, as, as presented. So there is a growing analysis that education is a political instrument depending on the balance of forces in a given society. Coming closer to the question on who is the globe. It can either be a tool for progress or redress. At the moment, uh, we believe that uh, neoliberalism has taken a center stage. So we analyze this through some trends which have been outlined here. One, the growing number, growing number of private institutions, especially in developing societies. An intention to reduce education to a mere commodity in the market 
what we call an education market. The tendency to commercialize institutions of higher learning uh, in a sense where there is an issue of tuition fee for purpose of profit, corporization of institution, building of misguided corporate images and culture that is developing client service provider relationship, business investment in what we define as market-oriented research, which even undermines the same autonomy which is so much defended by many institutions. So, in conclusion, we need to say, this is our smaller submission, in line with what was presented by the chair, that we need to emphasize, we need to check and balance that, what will accompany and definition of the autonomy. We need rules of engagement. We believe that we need to define autonomy on what should happen as a framework of a system and institutional level. We raise this issue of a framework and guidelines because even today, no one has the authority on how to define autonomy. We are still debating and we don't want to debate uh, for the next 27 years. Sure. We need to build, develop uh, uh, guidelines, a framework, and bring solutions. Other than defining a concept of what, what, what do we mean when we say institutional autonomy or academic freedom, or is academic freedom free or not? I don't think that those engagements are going to assist us. But as much as we have identified the problem, we need to develop a way forward that is going to quickly assist us in moving forward. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, thank you, Chairperson. I'm Jane Mananiso, member of this PC. Uh, let me start by welcoming the presentations and one must say, Honorable uh, Mkacha, I would want to applaud actually the PC for having this session. And I know it's the first of its kind in our lifetime. And I believe that as we are here, uh, we are actually here to actually coerce ourselves in terms of what we think that uh, we, we are identifying as gaps. And I would want to say to all of us who are here, colleagues, uh, it's not yet Uhuru. Uh, we can hope for the better tomorrow because we are here today to sharpen whatever that is not right. And I believe, uh, Honorable Mkajwa, we need to applaud those who could have given us recommendations in terms of what needs to be done. And one must say that as people were presenting, one could ask herself, why, why, why? And for me, all these whys, I was take, I'm taking them to the head to say that uh, there's a need of a radical 
massive transformation in terms of their monitoring and evaluation of these institutions. Because if, if the act is clear on what needs to happen in terms of corporate governance, public accountability and academic freedom, therefore there won't be a need of people thinking that when we do our oversight and accountability, we are interfering. So it is by that fact that those who are supposed to play their part in terms of ensuring that they continuously do oversight, they are not doing it. And I just want to check with the head if there are plans in place to ensure that they change how they do things in these institutions uh, to better the, the system itself. Because we, we could have heard that there are people who are unqualified, but, you know, in higher authority. So I get this. And I would want to employ to the head, uh, it's about the time that and people who are competent and have capacity, they must be in charge and be given responsibilities. Um, I think on other issues, I'm covered by uh, Dr. Koza, uh, to say that it is important that we have a framework that speaks about uh, institutional autonomy so that we give those who didn't have an opportunity as well to join us today to have some you know input with regards to what is it that they think about uh, this institutional autonomy uh, to better the space and chairperson i'm happy that uh, saus and others they've included as well the gender agenda as part and parcel of our transformational agenda in this particular colloquium. So it is important that we note as this PC that some of the people, they understand that ours is not to just say, let us do this and we, you know, leave things as they are. But there's a sense that now we are in an era of saying, this is what needs to be done. We're no longer asking ourselves, Okoti, Everybody has actually spoken same challenges, you know, to show that we all understand what needs to be done. And honorable uh, it is important, and I believe that it's about time as well that research of this country must speak speak to the solutions of this country. I mean, if we we fund something that cannot tell us about the best of South Africans, why do we then need to fund it? So I'm happy about the the, 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 the input by the chairperson, former chairperson one to say it's on point and we cannot argue further. If we're going to argue for issues of uh, resources, therefore we're going to be speaking about something that will be of solution to our uh, country. Uh, and I want to say to the leadership in this house and ourselves uh, 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 as honorable members, it is not too late as leaders to rethink, redo what we are doing that we think that it's wrong and as well be innovative as uh, Honorable Yabo have said. So we must not go out here as if we were just here, you know, for sconces and drinks. Uh, yet there were serious issues that were, you know, raised by all of us in this particular room. And uh, one would want to believe that if we really understand this holy trinity of cooperate governance, public accountability and academic freedom from the same concept. We, we won't be worried if as, as partners would be able to do what we have to do. 
lastly, uh, Chair, I think it, it is without fear that one could tell uh, Tandi that as the department, you need to strengthen your communication strategy, be it in everything that the department is in charge of. Because whether we like it or not, social media now, you know, it takes over. Anything that comes in now, few minutes, I would believe it because of it comes from somewhere. So there's minds behind that. So it is important that on daily basis, communicate uh, with the world, communicate with stakeholders and partners and continuously train, teach and learn from each other and manage these institutions uh, proactively. Ulo, I think from today, uh, Honorable Chair, as, as a member of this particular portfolio committee, I, I, it will be bad of me tomorrow to receive an email from a student telling us about intimidation. Sure. That email, it's a sign that people, they don't understand that in these institutions, they are partners. As much as they differ in terms of management roles, they are partners, they need each other, they must work with each other. Uh, I think, again, about Bulele, some of us, uh, those who are young and younger, we, we need to check what is it that we are, we are doing that is wrong. Radicalism is not anarchy. Perhaps some of the things are just dragging on the basis that SJN would just bring your anarchism into the, the, the processes and at the ultimate end, nobody finds each other. So it is important Chair, that in this same platform, as we speak about no vandalism and, you know, the, the issue of arcanism in our spaces, we need to deal with it, be it from your VC, from councils and student movement and workers. It, is, it needs to be addressed by us. And I believe that uh, at some point as this PC, we must call individuals who could have uh, actually presented to us today where we have noted uh, red errors, like the one of COSAD, saying that uh, universities are independent from the state. I mean, on its own, that particular statement, you can't say it here. So those are the people that perhaps we need to call them back and then try to get sense to say what is it they are thinking as to what's working together as, as, as partners in ensuring that we bring quality education to our people. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Mananiso. I believe that was the last input we had from Flo. Um, uh, I'm a bit disadvantaged uh, I, I, I need assistance in seeing if there are any key questions, comments that were on the uh, virtual platform. Actually, in fact, what I know, Honorable Boshoff is on the virtual platform, and I think he has an input to make. Honorable Boshoff? Thank you, Honorable Chair, uh, and that's very kind of you. Uh, I nearly thought that I was going to miss this opportunity to have something to say, especially because I saw the um, the end time would be at four o'clock, but I'll try to take it not too far beyond uh, four. Um, I found this uh, engagement today very interesting, and in a certain sense, I should say that much of what I heard um, reminded me of totalitarian uh, worldviews in which the state has an overbearing uh, responsibility over basically everything. 
what they can understand very well is that if public money is spent on anything like universities, then the um, then there should be accountability uh, for the money spent to be sure that it is um, done in a in a reasonable way and in a um, uh, what shall I say a financially um, uh, you know the property is uh, maintained. What would be a problem? is if the state through various programs dictate what universities or any, uh, or, you know, higher education um, uh, institutions should pursue and what they should not do. We are speaking about the um, cooperative governance model, especially uh, checks and balances. Now, when we speak about um, the division of powers, we often refer to legislative, executive, and um, and and the legal uh, part. Now, in in that sense, university is actually another sphere where, as uh, various uh, speakers said, knowledge formation is actually the thing, and in uh, that is an area where autonomy is indeed highly valued and uh, very important. And it seems to me that there is a, a, a yearning, especially among the honorable members, to uh, take that away and to make university something like a um, state department and vice chancellor, something like a DG, um, which I think would be uh, highly inappropriate and which will not uh, assist us in having an independent um, knowledge formation system in South Africa. Now, um, uh, in addition, I would say, because I saw there's only uh, four or five minutes left of this meeting, um, Teams says so, um, universities uh, should actually reflect the diversity of society not only within universities, but also between universities. That's why it's a, a best practice in many countries to have different universities like this or that Catholic university, which is um, uh, very express on, uh, from what direction or from what angle um, academic is, is approached. So I would say I hope that we uh, do not move in the direction of which many honorable members um, uh, moved us today. And I would uh, also forsake maybe many of the people who gave me a mandate to be here if I did not react to the broad strokes with which Dr. Miller uh, paints uh, academics, especially at Afrikaans universities, uh, Ogumi says that the uh, original sin is that they did not leave and that they are actually mediocre, uh, not able to do their work, maybe not qualified, and that they were also given the opportunities to spawn a whole new generation. I think that is stereotyping of the worst kind. Uh, thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Borshoff. Um, thank you very much, colleagues. It's now 16.28. Uh, um, we did start a bit late, but uh, it will be important that we afford ourselves the opportunity of um, conceptualizing um, 
some perhaps immediate recommendations um, that could come out of part one of our engagements. I want to note, perhaps, uh, if colleagues will allow me, if DG, there's any particular matter you'd like to respond to, um, and then I will close. Uh, I do take into cognizance the fact that there are other stakeholders who may perhaps have, you know, thoughts coming out of the engagements we have we, we may have had. But uh, I would like to um, remind ourselves that um, this is part one of a two-part uh, series of colloquia on this matter. And we will have to strategically think as the committee management how we create space into the, in the next session to perhaps get some of the thoughts that um, other stakeholders uh, may have you know, taken on through the discussions. So I think I'd like to guide us to move in that manner um, and then allow DG to come to the platform before I close. Yeah. Chair, I hope you don't mind if I speak from here. No. Uh, thank you. Uh, Chair, I think uh, I would have missed an opportunity if I did not, uh, uh, at this point of our conversation, uh, recognize your effort as the Chair of the Portfolio Committee and the uh, leadership of our members of Portfolio Committee. Uh, that has led to this discourse that um, I think uh, is appreciated by the sector at large. And uh, we in the Department of Higher Education and Training must be on record as uh, uh, having expressed our appreciation. And, um, and um, we are grateful that we have had an opportunity to also learn from, uh, from this experience. And, uh, and we are taking uh, the views of our social partners and, and our colleagues and peers uh, very seriously, and I think that uh, uh, we are going to have an exco that is very, very interesting going back to the department, mm -hmm. reflecting on the issues and processing some of them, because it's not only just the views, but there are certain issues that are a wake-up call to the department itself to say uh, the laws of the country, the policy framework, guides us in terms of what needs to be done about certain things that are currently giving us challenges. Uh, Chair, secondly, I wish to, uh, with your permission, uh, restate the critical role that uh, tertiary education in the country plays. And this is largely to fulfill and contributing to the shaping of the discourse on social transformation in our democracy uh, that is underpinned by our understanding of the role and roles and responsibilities of academic uh, freedom that cannot remain aloof but must become responsive to the agent and critical societal imperatives. I think it's imperative to arrest and reverse the growing inequalities in our country and uh, inequality that has entrenched itself along racial demographics and an inequality that exacerbates 
the exclusion of the poor and previously disenfranchised from the meaning participation in society at large and the economy in particular. And therefore, the conversation on institutional you know, uh, autonomy must be located within the broader transformation agenda of society as a whole and not necessarily just uh, to try and fix uh, you know, governance in institutions. And therefore, our responsibility must be seen as going beyond just the narrow you know, areas. Allow me, Chair, to be specific in terms of the questions that were raised by honorable me- uh, members, uh, but very briefly taking into account the, the pressure of time as you have guided us, Chair. Um, honorable, uh, let's see, um, uh, thank you for uh, raising uh, the questions that you have, particularly around the white paper and uh, you make an observation that uh, perhaps the white paper is not a sufficient mechanism to drive obstinate uh, you know, you know, targets that we have set. And perhaps at this point in time, we need to look into uh, broader policy mechanisms and, uh, and, and, and see how these can be strengthened to ensure that uh, we are able to strengthen the implementation of our policies. Uh, this is uh, how uh, Honorable Letsi has concluded. Uh, and he asks a question, where do we strengthen the legislation to allow for more effective implementation? So the emphasis in the input by Honorable Letsi has been on the implementation you know, of our policies and, and, and what is it that is going to be done uh, to ensure that we strengthen this. And I wish to be also specific in my response in this regard, Chairperson, because as we were discussing the issues of institutional autonomy, we may have uh, de-emphasized certain specifics uh, that, uh, that constitute it. And these are, one, student admissions. If, if the if the conversation was just specifically around student admissions uh, in relation to institutional autonomy, we would have very specific, you know, um, you know, um, you know, proposals in this regard. The second one is the curricula. I think uh, the 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 decolonization of uh, uh, curricula and and other ills that were that are inherited from the legacy of our history uh, still remain and, and therefore it's important for us at this point in time to locate the reasons why uh, you know we are still you know struggling in this regard methods of teaching and assessment research the establishment of academic regulations and the internal management of resources generated from the private and public resources these are specific issues which uh, uh, quite often when we speak about the notion of uh, institutional autonomy, uh, they become the, the, the focus of conversation more often than not. And therefore, it's going to be important for us in the department to zoom into these specifics and actually deal with the uh, you know, uh, short-term 
medium term and long term strategies around this and uh, and and these are the issues on the basis of which we are also going to seek uh, you know social compact uh, or the strengthening of the social compact uh, to allow us to ensure um, you know uh, you know that we achieve the goals of the system as an articulated in the act it is desirable uh, 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 chairperson for higher education institutions to enjoy freedom and i think it is important that uh, we are not uh, you know um, uh, you know saying other things that we've never said before it is desirable for higher education institutions to enjoy freedom and autonomy in their relationship with the state in the context of public accountability and the national need for advanced skills and scientific knowledge. And I think the balance there is uh, being emphasized. And I, and I think that in all the presentations, without any exceptions, we do not differ in this regard. And uh, some of the, the speakers have also you know, highlighted uh, the certain presentations, uh, particularly the presentation by Yusuf you know, in this regard. And uh, the question that the chair asked is uh, if that is the conclusion that you are making, what's the problem? And, uh, and, and I think, you know, our, our take in this regard is going to be to, to, is going to that which allows us to try and, and, and answer those questions. Um, Honorable uh, Dr. Kumalo, your observations are appreciated. Uh, I think you make a point that in our input, we may not have sufficiently indicated uh, what is then going to be done about the problems that we have identified. And I think uh, uh, um, it's, a, it's a solution seeking input that says it's fine to analyze the problem, but uh, uh, so what? Uh, 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 where are the solutions? Uh, and, and I think we take the point and you. Um, um, you further, you know, indicate that we need to expand the notion of accountability beyond just the state, you know. And I think if you look at the presentation by the department, uh, it does, you know, try to to make this point to say that uh, not only are the issues that I've raised around curricula, admissions, assessment, uh, important, but there is a link between the role of the state and the role of the department uh, in this regard, and therefore the policies of this department needs to be implemented at institutional level so that we broadly address the 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 the, 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 the issues that um uh, define the the issues in this um tiane uh, honorable zondo uh, thank you for your for your for your inputs we we heard you uh, you are emphasizing that we need to close the gap um you know that exists in policy and implementation by ensuring that we strengthen the monitoring and oversight. And, uh, and I think that we can look at the different levels of oversight that, that we have at institutional level, as well as uh, at departmental level. And I think uh, in those areas where as a department you are responsible for, we will try to strengthen uh, our systems and we will uh, gladly hold ourselves accountable uh, before you and, and the portfolio committee. In that in that regard, and uh, Honourable Spear uh, warns us that uh, the issues of nepotism 
that, uh, you know, bedevil the system will continue if we do not uh, deal with the issue of, uh, you know, um, institutional autonomy without public accountability. I think uh, the point is clear and uh, uh, Honorable King, uh, how are we going to conceptualize the issue of economy in the light of the existing distortions, some of them that are uh, emanating uh, as a result of our funding uh, models that uh, uh, tend to actually prioritize the poor and the working class uh, and and therefore uh, ostracize and uh, marginalize uh, other you know uh, categories and I think uh, that those who are aware of what the minister is doing currently to try and strengthen uh, the you know funding mechanisms, you know, for the missing middle and the conversations that are taking place between the department and, and institutions uh, uh, in, you know, in, in the uh, banking environment. And the appointment of, of the ministerial task team that deals comprehensively with the, the task of coming up with a comprehensive funding model are some of the, you know, initiatives which uh, we hope that once uh, the work of the ministerial task team is complete, we will be able to uh, uh, gather like this and engage on those proposals. And perhaps at that point, there will be a better consensus, you know, amongst our stakeholders. And uh, we appreciate this input. Uh, Honorable Tibulelo Mahlatsi um, uh, uh, was very detailed and very specific uh, in the analysis of each and every presentation. And uh, I think we will take advantage of that analysis uh, so that uh, we see it not only as a department, but also with the uh, institution and institutional leadership and management. And, and um, we've got, uh, um, you know, you know, uh, Professor Antapo here uh, uh, to engage uh, the vice chancellors, uh, because we also need them to be part of this conversation, uh, because uh, there is no attempt to polarize uh, the conversation, uh, Dr. Kumal. I think the the, the attempt is to try and actually bring all of us on one side of the conversation. And if we did not make that uh, uh, emphasis sufficiently, I think uh, we, we would uh, continue to strengthen it uh, so that uh, it is clear that our purpose is to improve the quality of uh, tertiary education in our country. The role of higher, higher education, particularly in terms of its oversight role and the inputs uh, that were made by COSATU, um, you know, are acknowledged and they are recognized by Honorable uh, Matlatsi. Um, I think, uh, Honorable uh, Yabo, you, you provided a lecture uh, on a number of subjects, uh, which uh, I think uh, uh, it would be an injustice to try and interrogate the issues which you yourself has, uh, in quite clear details, have enunciated. And I'm glad that I'm not alone from the department. Uh, I'm with, uh, you know, senior uh, leaders of the of the department, and therefore, when we report back, you know, uh, to our exco, there will be a comprehensive engagement emanating from the issues that you have raised, uh, amongst which uh, you also have asked us to go beyond just uh, uh, to uh, the narrow focus on the, um, you know, local context. And you're saying that uh, uh, we need to also be alert to global standards and, and developments uh, without necessarily losing ourselves 
and our own identity and our own subjectivities, you know, around the analysis. And I think that uh, as a proud people uh, of this country, we we know uh, where that comes from, and we 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 value the inputs that you you have have made. You made example of some of the institutions that are still struggling with transformation. I think uh, under those circumstances, uh, we are going to, and you will see, uh, that a department that is more proactive, that moves into institutions that is not scared uh, to raise uh, difficult questions. And, uh, and, uh, and that's why we are here. And, uh, and, 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 and when we do so, it will not be interference. It will be interventions. And I think that's, that's a new English word for it. Uh, there are inputs that were made, uh, particularly by the chairperson of NSFAS, by the president of SARS, that are really critical. And I think it would be important for us to also seek uh, further, you know, even, even bilateral engagement, you know, so that uh, this clarity that we see uh, 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 that is characterized by these inputs help us to, uh, you know, to improve administratively, but also to zoom into specifics in terms of policy, you know, you know, you know, yeah, challenges uh, that we are experiencing. We appreciate uh, this input, uh, these inputs, and and we 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 have benefited uh, from it. Honourable uh, Jane Mananiso, um, uh, the act is clear go out there and implement. And if there are plans in place uh, to turn around the system, uh, what is then the problem? Implement the policies. It is clear in this conversation that uh, we are all aligned in terms of how we interpret the policy. And therefore, it can't be therefore difficult to therefore just focus in those areas where we are still uh, struggling. And I think uh, the message uh, in this regard is very clear. Uh, Honorable uh, Pretorius, uh, you know, concludes by uh, uh, making an observation that independent knowledge formation systems are not desirable in South Africa. I think this is one of the most progressive inputs uh, by um, an honorable member who uh, um, uh, might, uh, you know, uh, arguably be representing, um, you know, you know, a section of the population that. Uh, may find uh, these kinds of expression uh, unfamiliar. And therefore, it makes uh, us uh, feel, Honorable Chair, that there is sincerity in uh, that characterizes the conversations today. People who are prepared to move outside of their, you know, you know um, own, uh, you know, comfort zones to try and seek solutions uh, in this regard. We appreciate uh, uh, these inputs. We have recorded them and we are going to work with the Secretariat to check the notes as well, Chair, if uh, we've missed in certain areas, including your concluding comments. Uh, earlier on at the beginning of this conversation, you did say that it's not going to be uh, what we say to one another today, but it's going to be what we do about what we have said. And I think that that uh, still holds true. Uh, even at this uh, point of the conclusion. We appreciate, uh, Chair, the inputs by those who are uh, connected to us virtually, and, uh, and, and we, we have taken into account their views, and they will be integrated in our conclusions and in, in our action plans 
for the implementation of the resolutions uh, thereof. Thank you, Chair, for the opportunity. Way forward. Um, right. Thank you very much, uh, honourable members and colleagues. Um, I just want to acknowledge some of the inputs that would have come from uh, the the virtual platform. I know some of us who are in the room. We're also logged onto the virtual platform, therefore we would have noted uh, some of the engagements that would have come out of there. Um, so, so there's a Beverly T here that says, is it that institutional autonomy, academic freedom, and social accountability are tied up with a particular version of the university that might have brought us to the classes of 2015-2017, essentially reminding us um, of the fact that maybe we need to revisit how institutional autonomy, academic freedom, and social accountability are looked at um, in, in, in how we look at those, those elements as a, 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 a sector of higher education um, in a democratic South Africa. Um, there's a, another one from Tiziambi P. Uh, Tiziambi P says, the question of the discrepancies between salary and the number of students at a university is a critical one. There's a disturbing trend where VC salaries are not congruent to their size, to the size of the university. This raises the question of whether VCs are in the business of the provision of quality education or on a path to personal profits. The need to investigate and regulate VC salaries has been on the agenda since 2018, if not earlier, and to date, there are no answers. We continue to see VCs with um, exorbitant, um, uh, with, with 5K, 7K students commanding, okay, with a uh, you know, few number of students commanding salaries above 4.5 million without shame. When we look at the graduation output rates of these universities, there's little to justify the abuse of public funds. Furthermore, you find the gap between VC salaries and low earners very shameful. Um, Charles H. says, a key observation you have made there, I'm not sure who was making that observation, that's an aspect of public accountability which, may, which many university councils are failing to address. The perks of senior executives are puzzling when one looks at throughput, et cetera. I'm assuming Charles could have been responding to, to Ziambi. Uh, Crispin C says, people speak of students as those who enter a university as consumers who enter a supermarket. That suggests that they are there as consumers of the offerings. An alternative understanding would be of people who join a university and become part of its community. From this perspective, they should enjoy the rights and responsibilities of academic freedom and institutional, and, and institutional autonomy while they are there. Um, Julie Reddy also had a lot to say. I'm assuming it's Julie Reddy, because Julie R. Um, 
from a practical implementation and accountability perspective, we need to also interrogate um, institutions, uh, institutional autonomy practices in terms of exclusionary admission policies and practices vis-a-vis -vis learner access to higher education studies, including recognition of CAT and partial studies, the practice of RPL 10% threshold for admissions, lack of RPL for credits as per the national um, RPL policy, parity of esteems of qualification awards, the 50% clause, and no enabling flexible um, learning, teaching and learning, um, teaching and assessment pathways, etc. Um, and she basically um, gives us, this is another key consideration raised by Prof. Bauer is the issue of articulation from TVET to higher education. Historically, sorry, higher education institutions are not using the important intersecting space offering by NQF level five across the three sub frameworks of our NQF to promote access to higher education studies. She raises a myriad of matters and I hope um, those colleagues who are on the virtual platform were also able to see those. I, I found it important colleagues that I just acknowledge the comments of those who are on the virtual platform um, to make sure that they, 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 they understand that we also see the inputs that they have made and that they did not waste uh, their time this morning going into the afternoon and we really want to appreciate i mean at some point i think we almost had 70 70 odd participants of, on the on the virtual platform if i'm not mistaken that's quite a massive number and that was only on microsoft uh, teams um, we also had others who were joining us on youtube joining us on Insta uh, facebook and on twitter we, we're not on instagram yet in terms of live streams but i hope colleagues from you know it or parliament uh, can assist us on getting to that point colleagues i want to thank you all uh, you know i want to thank all of you uh, really for availing yourselves for this engagement and also for really participating in this engagement um, so openly and so honestly. Um, we always try our best as a portfolio committee to make the portfolio committee a space where um, we can assist one another as stakeholders in the sector. Uh, Honorable Makesi, the other day, um, you know, I had to, I had to, Honorable King, I had to re reinforce the fact that we, we don't want the portfolio committee to be a scene as a space that you need to evade, but rather a space where you can come and get counsel, get recommendation, get guidance, um, because we're all in the sector together to try and better the lives of South Africans. And so um, we, 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 could, we, we, we hope that even in this engagement, uh, vice chancellors maybe who felt that, hey, you are coming for them uh, on this particular matter, we're not coming for you. We are coming for the golden ticket that institutions of higher learning should be for um, the young people in this country. I want to remind us of the fact that this is a two-part series as it stands. Um, if there is a need for us to go into a third uh, engagement, we will do so. But at the moment, it's a two-part series. Uh, Honorable Mananiso, it being a two-part series means that uh, in the next engagement, there'll be less of us here. Uh, well, Prof. Bauer, DG, uh, making lengthy presentations and more uh, inputs from citizens, stakeholders, ordinary students, ordinary workers, um, so that we can understand that, I mean, in light of the view that I think, uh, I'm not sure which one of our oral submissions it was, who are saying that, um, uh, you know, we need to have a form of social ownership, and Honorable Kumalo also spoke to this, of our institutions. Our institutions don't belong to us, DG, myself, yourself, Minister, VC, Ntlapo. They don't belong to us. They belong to the people of this country. Um, and that is why we liked what we saw at Solplaiki University, where there was a repurposing of a community hall, 
um, for it to assist the institution, but the institution has made sure that they also make it accessible to the community, even though it's now um, part and parcel of the university's infrastructure. So we understand that uh, these institutions do not belong to ourselves. Uh, they belong to citizens of this country as public institutions. Honorable members, um, it, it, it's, I think we all have an, a, a general understanding of some sort that is where there is some sort of consensus on what we should be trying to achieve through education. Um, but I still want to, as we leave this session, for us to continue to ponder on questions around um, what exactly is the role of education? What is education? Um, how must education be presented? I think uh, colleagues from the CHE stressed this. Um, where does education exist? In a TVET, in a university, on the streets, at home, through storytelling? Um, what are the experiences of those within the space of education? So have we made our institutions of higher learning conducive um, for all of us to find belonging within? And that's why when uh, the student movement um, spoke on decoloniality, it did not only speak on the decoloniality of curricula, but also on the representation of the institution. Um, how does, how, you know, what are the experience of those of those who are teaching in the space um, uh, and, you know, understanding teaching like how the CHE presents it. And I got excited a little bit because I, my postgraduate studies are in education. So uh, we speak about not, uh, you know, the, the process of teaching and learning is, is, is not linear. It's not a top down approach. It's, it's, it should be quite horizontal um, so that you can allow for the facilitating of education and the engaging of that particular content. Not that you're receiving it, but you're engaging it as a scholar. How do we ensure that um, the role of education lands um, where it is uh, um, meant to land? And so, um, what we understand, perhaps, what we could perhaps understand if we begin to understand the if we, if we begin to answer the questions I've just asked, is what is it that we want to achieve? Um, and I think what, we, what I think we want to achieve in the immediate DG is an ability for us as various stakeholders in the sector to be able to fulfill our differentiated roles as outlined in the Act. Because if we are able to afford one another that particular space, it means that when the portfolio committee identifies the fact that in the economy there is a, a gap on a particular skill, we are given the space to make that recommendation and that recommendation will be well received, not as interference, but as an intervention by government to ensure that our country is able to respond to the needs and demands of the economy. Um, and so I think that is what we are trying to do, DG. They, they, as we all depart from this engagement, um, particularly, you know, the department and ourselves as a committee, there may be a need for us to have deliberations in preparation for the second, the second part of our colloquium, um, to to try and zoom into what could be the short uh, and medium to long term goals of this process that we are embarking on, and what are then the actionables coming out of that. And perhaps a starting point could be the consideration of a 
a task team to look into a, a charter of some sort on social compact in the sector. Um, where this charter stipulates um, the co commitments from all stakeholders in ensuring that we bring to life the Higher Education Act and what it speaks to in terms of, of our different responsibilities as stakeholders. But equally in this process, if we're calling for a, a, a charter on how to social compact, speaking to cooperative governance, we may also need to embark on a process of looking into the legislative gaps that could be present considering what Honorable Litsie says, where he says, and you also allude to it, DG, to say, and I think yourself, Whip, as well, to say that if we are agreeing that the act is quite clear, then what informs the contradictions that we see on the ground? What informs our inability as a sector, as stakeholders, to implement what is stipulated um, 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 in the act? And that is where we will then have to embark on a process of looking into the, the legislative gaps um, around the act and various re regulations and, and, uh, and policies of the department. And in this, we'd also want universities to embrace the spirit of law and comply with good governance and developmental objectives. And what we hope, what we could also hope is that the social compact that we could perhaps uh, conceptualize would address a challenge where we have a plethora, if not a buffet, of legislative poli legislation, policies, and, and regulatory frameworks. However, we still face a challenge of non-compliance by some institutions and some stakeholders um, are marginalized, for example, through court interdicts, imagine. Um, yet we want to act like we all understand the, the act here, but anyway. The committee, together with the department, will also look into whether there are any operational systems that need to be addressed in that regard. DG, what we also note in this, uh, from the engagements that we've just had, is that um, the department needs to look into its capacity challenges, or lack thereof, in relation to the university program to strengthen its oversight over the institutions, over institutions, and to analyze the reports that are submitted by universities. What uh, the conversations that we've had this afternoon also uh, bring to the fore is that um, perhaps we need to establish ombuds offices to create independent spaces to mediate the challenges of conflicts between university stakeholders to avoid a, a situation where when matters come to the portfolio committee, it's seen as though we are interfering. But what will need to happen is that we will have to intervene. So when there is a situation where there is not sufficient internal uh, capacity to address um, those, to address conflicts within the institution. So we'll have to intervene to ensure that we don't interfere. Um, and then of course, this, this colloquium also speaks to the fact that we need to address the challenge of social ownership or the lack of social ownership of universities within our communities. Um, I think there was a lot that was spoken to that. And in fact, Whip, I want to say, we must not even look at it from a, a, a monetary perspective to say, well, 
um, if the states invest in institutions, therefore they can hold the institution to account. If parents invest, therefore we can hold institutions. In fact, there are public institutions. So even the lady who stays down the street from the university should be given space to come and ask the VC, eh, Puti, how are we dealing with the fact that when our young women walk from campus to their residences, they are not safe? How do we as members of the community assist you? So, in fact, that is what we envisage when we speak about social ownership of our institutions. There's much work that we need to do collectively. Um, we need to strengthen the functioning of the higher education ecosystem. We can only strengthen the functioning of the higher education ecosystem if we appreciate the different roles we have to play as stipulated in the act. I'm going to, I'm going to sit on this matter on a number of times because from sitting here, that is what I'm finding to be the biggest challenge at this point in time. We need to build and strengthen the governance leadership of institutions, councils, um, Tandi have a mammoth task to play um, according to the Act, and Tandi has left, but in Hexentia, they have a mammoth task to play in terms of the Act, and so they must be capacitated to do so. And in fact, I think this committee uh, must look into whether or not we must re resuscitate um, the capacity building program that did exist for councils in the past, and even resuscitate the the the, the well the institutional organisation um, that 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 gathered um, councils or council chairs. Um, we need to build the leadership capacity of student organizations, but also what we don't want to do is keep on building capacity of stakeholders, but not affording them um, you know, fruitful spaces of engagement. Um, so, so we need to be also be cognizant of that. Um, we, of course, want to strengthen collaboration um, beyond the sector with other departments as well. Um, we, we note the fact that in order for us to do our work, um, there's the need for greater governmental and financial support and investment in these institutions. Um, and also, of course, the colloquium appreciates that Parliament has the responsibility to ensure that the funds it appropriates to institutions are utilised effectively. Therefore, we want to continue to see um, the role played by the AG in auditing um, institutions. We want to see greater transparency in the utilisation of public funds, especially infrastructure efficiency grants. Um, and, you know... <laughs> But I want us to close. But you know, the more you look at some of the the, the, the issues that are coming before us as, as as we try and conclude, you're like we have a lot of work, uh, colleagues, to do in this regard. Um, and of course, uh, stronger stronger uh, compliance uh, enforcement. Um, and I think in closing, colleagues, what what really must come out from what we are trying to do here is that um, I don't think this committee has, I think this committee can unequivocally state that it has total regard for academic freedom and institutional autonomy. And this, this uh, behavior, this tendency of wanting to dismiss public accountability by saying that when we want to, and of course, what DG also need to make very clear, and maybe dictionaries can assist us here. There's a difference between interference and intervention. I, I'd like to believe, and maybe we must take out our dictionaries. And, but I think there's a huge difference between interference and intervention. And I don't think any of us here want to interfere um, in the day-to-day -day runnings of institutions. 
Um, so when we say we want to intervene to make sure that these institutions fulfill the mandate they ought to fulfill, to be able to drive our economy, to be able to develop our, our country, to be able to ensure that our people are self-liberated, it is not because we are interfering in the space, but we want to intervene and to build the space. So, Honorable Boshoff, um, you know, this committee supports and protects the principle of cooperative governance, academic freedom, and institutional autonomy, and will contend with anyone. I want to ask the vice chancellors, in fact, that if there are people who are interfering in institutions, they must be brought to us, DG. We want to see them. If there are people who are uh, holding vice chancellors at, at, at gunpoint saying that if they don't do X, Y, Z in the institution, uh, because Bona, I don't know, they are the, the leadership of wherever, uh, then they're going to, no, then bring those people to us. Because those are the people who are tainting the image of, of the importance for even political intervention at times in our institutions. Um, and so, yeah, anyone who wishes to interfere with institutions must come uh, and deal with the committee, and we will deal with them decisively. So, colleagues, I want to thank you very much um, for availing yourselves, uh, the, all, everyone who made oral submissions um, to, 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 to our members of parliament who are here, to our stakeholders, colleagues from NASFAS, um, everyone who, who presented, those on the virtual platform. Um, please look out for Communique on when um, part two of, of the series of colloquia will sit. Um, we want to get to a point where we're no longer dealing with the form around institutional autonomy, academic freedom, and public accountability, where we're dealing with the content, the content that I think came out strongly from the presentation by, um, for example, Mr. Miller, um, came out strongly from what, uh, what, what Mr. Uh, Hanyani was saying to say, what is the research impact of, of, of institutions? What is the research transferability of institutions? But unless we deal with our abilities to operate in the space, we will not even be able to deal with the content issues that come with this topic around institutional autonomy, academic freedom, and public accountability. Honorable members, thank you very much for your time. This meeting is officially adjourned. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone.